0: This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 57 for January 2013, with guest Bob DeWay. The subject is the authority of the Bible.
1: Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson.
0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Andy Olson, and this is episode 57 the January 2013 episode of Echo Zoe Radio. My guest this month is Bob DeWay, and our topic is The Authority of the Bible. This episode is the continuation of a series that originally began four years ago with Patrick Shalopsky on the essentials of the Christian faith. Patrick and I did an episode in January 2009 introducing the topic of the essentials, and then did shows in January of 2010 on the Atonement, and January 2011 on the Incarnation. We missed our Essentials podcast in January 2012, and I wanted to pick up on the theme once again for January. Patrick couldn't continue with us, but we'll keep the topic going. If, Lord willing, Echo Zoe continues on as it has for almost five years, the Essentials will be the January episodes through 2017. Before we go into discussion with Bob DeWay, I'd like to make a short announcement about the podcast feed. If you subscribe to the show through the feed, either in iTunes or other podcasting software, you may have noticed some sermons by Eric Dama and Bob DeWay pop up. It wasn't intentional that those sermons would appear in the Equizoi Radio podcast feed, and hopefully that issue is resolved. In the process of fixing that problem, I had to create a new feed for the show at Equizoi. If everything worked correctly, iTunes should have switched you over to the new address automatically. If you see more than two sermons in your feed, and maybe you don't see any, but if you see more than two, you may need to resubscribe to get the right feed. If you subscribe to the show using another service besides iTunes, you will need to resubscribe to the show using the new link. You can get the new link from the big orange RSS button on the right side of any page at EchoZoey.com. If you'd like to get the sermons by Eric and Bob, there's a new feed set up that you can subscribe to called Echo Zoe Sermons, available on iTunes. You can also find RSS links to subscribe in something other than iTunes at any sermon post at EchoZoe.com. There's a bit of a story behind those sermons and why they're being posted at Echo Zoe. I won't get into the details, but we are currently in the process of planting a new church in the Twin Cities here in Minnesota with Eric Dalma as our pastor, and Bob DeWay will also be teaching at our new church. If you like the sermons, you're welcome to download them from Echo Zoe, and as soon as the new church is up and running, we'll be posting them at the new church's website. Information on where to find the website will be posted at Echo Zoe as soon as it is available. With all of that out of the way, here's my discussion with Bob DeWay on the authority of the Bible. Welcome, Bob.
2: Nice to be here again.
0: It's great to have you back and in studio, first time since I've remodeled the studio.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, every time I come to be on your podcast, you have a more sophisticated studio. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think hopefully I'm about done with the uh, uh, the hardware improvements, but uh, yeah, it's been getting better and better over the last yeah. f- almost five years. And it's great to see but that. But you were there for the first episode.
2: Yeah, we used to go to the kitchen table and yeah. uh, I had... That was just it. We yeah. Just, we just Cheap Radio
0: Shack microphones and stuff. And whatever
2: we had. Now, yeah. don't say that because Radio Shack might be offended. <laughs> well,
0: but they were inexpensive. They were inexpensive. They were $10 yeah. a microphone. Well, as we've got some nice equipment here. here,
2: and what's really important is that we get a message out that will point people to the gospel and to the scripture as the very word of God that's able to lead us to salvation. It says, make, yep. it, make us wise unto salvation.
0: Yeah, and that's our topic, is uh, we're going to pick up on a theme that I had going for the first uh, three years of Echo Zoe, where January started off, uh, all three of those first ones were with Patrick Shalopsky, and we talked about the essentials of the Christian faith. And the first one we did in 2009, Patrick laid out uh, kind of a Cliff Notes version of, it was an introduction of all seven essential doctrines, as he saw them, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, In 2010, I think we did the Atonement, and in 2011, we did uh, Incarnation, and then Patrick couldn't join us for 2012 or 2013, so we're going to pick it up and uh, take those topics. uh, Oh, okay. And the one we're going to do today is the uh, authority of the Scripture, and you're going to talk about the authority of the Scripture. And probably a good place to start is, first of all, uh, setting up the importance of the Scripture having authority. Why must we make this case for the authority of the Scripture?
2: In order to do that, let me give you a little story about how I got into this topic so strongly. We ended up doing a conference on it one time with Gary Gilley. I wrote an article based on a Christianity Today article that was somewhat emergent, what have you, and they were challenging the idea of Scripture alone, that there are other ways to hear from God and so on and so forth. And I wrote an article critical of Christianity Today's article was this rejecting Scripture alone. Mm -hmm. And they were going back to, you know, the mystics and monastic movement and so on and so forth. And I thought, well, I'll just say, if you're going to do this, you're going to end up going back to Rome. Mm -hmm. And the thing that shocked me is I started getting calls from people, including some people I was in seminary with, who said, well, we do reject Scripture alone, and we did go back to Rome. (laughs) And they thought it was a good thing. And they said, well, you just just import this idea. You can't even prove it from the Bible. So that led to this study Mm -hmm. that I presented a few different times now that shows that when God appeared to the patriarchs, there was a tangibility to it. They were not just like somebody sitting out on a mountain meditating or the Dalai Lama or somebody, and they got some ideas about what God might be like. This was the God who created the universe out of nothing, who appeared literally after the fall, spoke to Adam and Eve. We're going to look at that. Mm-hmm. Spoke to the patriarchs in keeping his promises to Abraham. He has brought the people out of Egypt and to Mount Sinai where he spoke. And it scared him so bad. They said, well, we'll just have Moses talk to you. We're going to die. <laughs> and they, they had a good point. And then Moses was h- hidden in the cleft of the rock and so forth. And we'll go through that. hmm and then you go to the New Covenant, and you have Jesus Christ and his apostles, and one of the requirements for an apostle was that they saw the resurrected Christ bodily, mm-hmm. not just having some mystical experience because people are claiming those regularly. Yeah. And then people associated with the apostles who got their material from the apostles gives us our New Testament. And I, I would like to answer some of the challenges that were thrown up in my face, yeah. when I when I rebuke Christianity today, and they're plenty happy not to have Scripture alone, they want to go somewhere else, which is generally to mysticism.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, generally, when I look at this, is you know, we've talked about sola scriptura, mm-hmm. and I've done an episode on sola scriptura, and I'm kind of looking at this at a different angle. Uh, sola scriptura is typically seen as a Reformation doctrine that came out of rejection of Catholicism and mm-hmm. their their teaching magisterium and their tradition, and and putting that on the same level as Scripture. Uh, And I'm looking more uh, from a different angle as the essentials of Christianity, at least biblical Christianity, is knowing the person and works of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we have to start with something, got to start with the foundation from which we get the truths that we understand about the person and the redemptive works of Christ. And so that's kind of the angle that we're going to go today with uh, the authority of the scripture
2: Well, we're going to start on Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, because that's what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. the person of Christ, and that in the last days, God spoke to us through his Son. And so we'll start right there, and just directly answer, has God spoken, and how is it that we know that Jesus Christ is the one who's come into this world, who pre-existed as God and with God, who came, lived in a real time, in real space, and did things that can be verified historically and the prime example is the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead so jesus said in john 5 moses wrote of me Mm -hmm. and we're going to go back and trace this history of God speaking to people based on this hebrews 1 1 and 2 and see that the culmination is christ and his apostles therefore we have a solid ground for understanding the authority of scripture and that these words that were spoken by God were real words in human languages to people that understood what God said and that God condescended to speak human languages and they understood it. And that's challenged constantly today, especially in the postmodern and emergent world where they say words really don't mean anything, but then they write a book and they expect you can read their book (laughs) and understand it. So we're saying God does use words. He does speak propositionally and that we can understand what he said. And that any believer willing to submit to it, actually an unbeliever can understand the words. It's just they don't believe in Christ. They don't want to submit to it. You can actually find some very good analyses of the Greek New Testament written by people that don't have faith in the finished work of Christ, but they know Greek. Mm -hmm. So they can understand it. They just don't believe it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make it any less true because somebody doesn't believe. Yeah. Well, let's go to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Okay, let me read that. It says here, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So here we have, really it's very reminiscent of John 1, 1 and 2, but here God spoke to the fathers in the prophets, okay? Moses was the author of the Pentateuch. Mm-hmm. Not that there isn't material in there, like the account of Moses' death. Obviously, he didn't write. Right. But it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in our account from the Old Testament of God speaking, we see that he tangibly came into human history and spoke to people. And they, these patriarchs were not just people who happened to decide they wanted to have a religion, so they went out into the you know, mountains or the wilderness right. or whatever. And Starved started getting dehydrated it.
0: themselves and waiting yeah, for spirits or, to talk to them.
2: Yeah, or like people sometimes do, they go find some hallucinogenic mushrooms or whatever. Uh-huh. It's not like that. This was God speaking to human beings in a, in a theophany, which would be a visible, tangible manifestation of God who comes into human history, who's in control of this, and who walks and talks to these people. Yeah. Okay, and we can see the very first one of these after right after the fall because it says in Genesis chapter 3, uh, in verse 8, After the rebellion, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And then God spoke, and in that speaking, we have the promise that the seed of the woman would have ultimately crushed the head of the serpent, which is alluded to in the New Testament. So this was not just, even in our fallen state, there was a tangibility to God appearing and speaking to Adam and Eve. And this is recorded for us in the book of Genesis. This is not like other religions. I've said many times the difference between any kind of a pagan or pagan religion and Christianity is that pagans are guessing what God's like, they're guessing what God said, and Christians know what God said because we believe the Bible. And there's examples of that even in the Bible. For example, Job, which scholars believe predated Abraham. If you look at the book of Job, until God comes on the scene, we kind of have in the prologue, behind-the-scenes, discussion about job between uh satan and god but when his comforters were speaking about it and they were having their uh discussion they were just guessing and so they went round and around and around for chapters well you must be a worse sinner job than everybody else because god isn't like that he's not going to make you suffer unless you sin worse than we did and but when god came on the scene you know theophany and spoke Then we have divine revelation. Okay, so if we don't know what God said, which is the case of many people who go to church every Sunday, they have no clue what it says in the Bible. They just become pagans. Mm -hmm. Pagans doesn't mean they necessarily do everything that any pagans ever done. They may be very nice Christian people, but they have no clue what God said. And so their thinking is pagan. And Thats the problem we're having in the church is that the lack of clear training and teaching in the Word of God has caused people, even who go to church every Sunday, to think like pagans, and it shows up and you know what happens?
0: Let start you know, getting into that thinking that uh, uh, that postmodern style thinking where you just can't know
2: nobody uh, yeah, but then when but it's uh it's very hypocritical because when they go to work, whatever their job is, they're going to have to know what they're doing. Yeah. But when it comes to religion, it's just a state of consciousness. So what we're saying here from Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God spoke. Yeah. And what he spoke was human words understandable to the people who heard those words. But when he condescends, meaning he chooses the words and the means to reveal himself to human beings, then those human beings can understand what God said. That's the basis of divine revelation. It's God having spoken, and that's the claim here. God, after he spoke, has spoken to us in his Son. That's the claim of Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, and I believe that claim is true, and that every Christian and every Christian church should proceed on that basis. Because if God hasn't spoken, then what makes us any different than pagans? Right. We're just guessing. And if we think God spoke... And maybe the leadership knows something of the Bible, but they don't want to preach that or teach that to the people that come to church. You're just assuring that you're going to have a church that thinks like pagans. And I run into that quite often.
0: Yeah, And then... um, You go into Jude one
2: three. Yeah, just to set the stage for this, and I have a lot of material. I probably won't get to all of it. But there's a claim in Jude, beloved, while I was making every effort to... Write to you about our common salvation. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, I became aware of this once for all when teaching through the book of Hebrews. We went through Hebrews a couple different times Once for three years in Sunday school. Some years ago, we went through Hebrews and I did a radio series on Hebrews. And there are several key concepts in Hebrews. And one of the most important ones is once for all. It's also found in 1 Peter 3. Jesus Christ died for sins, the just for the unjust. Once for all, he died for sins. Yep. Hopox. You may have seen that if you read scholarly material. Okay, but here it means once and not again. And I did a lot of study on that. So Jude claims that the faith, which is the message of the Christian content, is about the person and work of Christ, which is always under attack, was delivered to the saints, the church, once for all. And the same word is used often in Hebrews about Christ's substitutionary death. His sacrifice for sins was done once for all. That makes it superior to all of the Old Testament sacrifices because they had to be done year after year or day after day or week after week, however, depending on what it was. But Christ did it once for all. That's what was delivered to the saints, the faith. So. It's not saying, well, we have the beginning of the faith, but in church history we're going to have prophets and apostles and church councils and popes and bishops and people with various ideas, and then we're going to have these Gnostic Gospels that really aren't from God. Uh-huh. And that's all going to be the faith, and people will have to sort through it and decide what's from God and what's not from God. authority of Scripture says God doesn't leave us to float around in the cosmic universe trying to find out what God said. He speaks concretely objectively, tangibly, to his chosen spokespersons, and that what God did can be verified wherever it touches human history. This is not just a religion that asks you to take a blind leap into the dark.
0: Yeah, we're we're talking about how God speaks to people. Yeah. But the issue might arise is how do we know that God spoke to them and not to someone else who claims that God spoke to them?
2: Let's talk about that. For those of our listeners, and I think most of your listeners are pretty aware of what the Bible says, God did appear to Abram, and we see that in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 18, and if you read the account, this was tangible. This was a theophany. Some people have said it, uh, that this is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ to the earth. Whatever the nature of the theophany, it was God, Yahweh, identified as Yahweh a number of times. And it says in Genesis eighteen eighteen, then the Lord Yahweh appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. This this was not Abraham trying to be the Dalai Lama, you know, to get into an altered state and go up on some holy mountain and hear God. He was sitting in his tent, and here God comes.
0: Minding his own business.
2: Yeah, and God gives a promise. And... Part of the promise to Abraham was that his descendants would be taken as you know, into eventually into Egypt and come out four hundred years later. Yep. And so these are concrete promises that were given to people in real history with words that they understood. And the same thing is true of Isaiah. I just want to go through some of the patriarchs because yep. that's what it said in Hebrews one, one and two. God spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions in many ways. Well, he spoke to Abraham. Then here it says in uh, Genesis twenty six twenty three, and I'll read verse 24, where God appears to Isaac, right? From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. So Yahweh appears to Isaac, reiterates the promise that was given to Abraham. Then we have here in Genesis 35, we're going to go forward to Jacob, another patriarch. God appeared to Jacob again after he turned from Padam Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob, you will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. And so we have the narrative of the Pentateuch that ultimately leads us to God meeting Moses out in the wilderness, and during that gap between the time of Moses being out of Midian, there were over 400 years where there's no record of God appearing or speaking to anybody but he ruled over his universe providentially, but he fulfilled his promise to Abraham. So to pick this up, let's just go forward to um, I'm going to go forward to Exodus 3 and verse 2 okay? And this is where God appeared to Moses. Remember, he killed the Egyptian, fled into Midian, and yep. tending the pasture or the flocks. Here is what it says: Exodus three two. And then I am going to also quote verse six. And here, in in the midst of this, the, in the burning bush. The angel of the Lord is the angel of Yahweh, and it's God who's speaking to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire yet the bush was not consumed he said also i am the god of your father the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob and then moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at god one of the things that we need to know about god is in his purity and his awesomeness and his holiness our god is a consuming fire it says in hebrews people that actually did come face to face with the theophany and God restrains he doesn't just reveal all of his nature because it would destroy it's people overwhelming. Yeah. yeah and here in the burning bush he here's the holy ground remember that story and that or that uh, account of what God did he hid his face he was afraid to look at God be, and that something like that happened again on Mount Sinai so this was very tangible this was not Moses he'd been out there in that wilderness for a long time and he wasn't looking to meet God. God came and revealed himself to Moses. So the authority of scripture is grounded in real events in real human history. And some people would say, Oh, this is all myth and stories yeah. borrowed from the pagans. Well, they hadn't if you read the writings of the Babylonian, the creation epic and Gilgamesh and all that stuff, mm-hmm. it's I, I did that when I was in seminary it's not even believable the polytheistic gods of the pagans are, have worse morals than most humans yeah. and they despise people and they kill each other and, and it's not even believable it's nothing as far as the high clear moral and revelatory features of Genesis and Exodus and so on so there's no comparison with what the pagans they could only guess yeah so
0: but it's also then grounded in those promises which play out through history. Exactly. And we also get into miracles, signs and wonders that go along with the words of God.
2: Yes, as we go forward, we'll see that the ultimate one who spoke is Jesus Christ, the, mm-hmm. the pre Son of God who existed from all eternity as God and with God, was born of a virgin, came into human history, and he spoke to real people in history that's recorded that could be shown to be not mythological. There are religions that have places in their holy books that don't even exist on the face of the earth. And there are claims that are not credible, but Jesus Christ predicted his own resurrection from the dead, and one of the requirements of an apostle was that they'd seen the resurrected Christ bodily. Mm -hmm. When John wrote his epistle, 1 John, he talked about the tangibility. We've seen, we heard, we touch, this life we declare unto you. This was not... Jesus Christ, the Spirit Christ of the cosmic consciousness, this was the real God incarnate who was born of the Virgin Mary who literally talked to real Jewish men who were chosen by him to be his apostles. Mm-hmm. Well, this is grounded in how God spoke to the patriarchs and to Moses, and that's what Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 is saying. So we got to fast forward a little bit, and we get to, the Mount, to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments come, Okay exodus 19 19 and 20 the first thing that had now this the ten commandments come in chapter 20 but this was real this was scary okay it says here in exodus 19 19 and 20 when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder moses spoke and god answered him with thunder and the lord came down on mount sinai to the top of the mountain and the lord called moses up to the top of the mountain and moses went up This was God calling Moses to himself. He brought him and the people out of Egypt to himself at Mount Sinai. And then it says in Exodus 20 and verse 1, Then God spoke all these words. When I studied under Dr. Daniel Block in 1992 at Bethel Seminary, he pointed out that these Ten Commandments are actually ten words. That's what it says, ten words. Now, there are more than 10 words when you write it all out, but Uh the real important concept here is that God spoke to real people in real history words. God chose the words. The people heard the words. And the words' meaning are determined by the author, in this case, God himself. And the concepts relate to real revelation, meaning when God says, Thou shalt not steal. That concept was meaningful to the right. people who heard it, and they could understand the difference between stealing or coveting or what, whatever, committing adultery, whatever God commanded them to not do, or yep. commanded them conversely to do. They could understand it, and He did speak, and He does. He spoke through, as it says in Hebrews one one. To, excuse me, Hebrews one. One and two, he spoke the fathers, the patriarchs, the prophets in the Old Testament, inspired by God, and they spoke binding revelation. Now, Moses was the mediator chosen in the Old Covenant, and he pointed forward to someone else. But let's get back and and see how God actually spoke, and it was so scary, Mm -hmm. people didn't want to hear anymore. And so... It says in Deuteronomy 5, 4, The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain in the midst of the fire. This was really God, the creator, Genesis 1, 1, and so forth. God created the whole universe out of nothing, and he spoke. Adam and Eve had moral law. Thou shalt not eat of the tree the knowledge of good and evil. They did so. Mm -hmm. Satan had fallen before them, and then God appeared to them and spoke. And even there gave a promise. Now, uh, Exodus twenty eighteen and 19 says, And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They realized they were so sinful that God's presence on Sinai and his words that they heard the first time he spoke was a threat to their very existence. They would die. So if God chose Moses, then Moses can go talk to God. That's, that's what they said. And and later, God said he approved of that. That was correct. They they made the right decision there. Mm-hmm. Some people will say, no, they blew it. They should have just got their own revelation. A lot of people think you need new revelations. No, we need to listen. Well, that's why God gave them a conscience. Yeah, the conscience tells us we're sinners, but we can sear it with a hot iron. Well, the law shows what sin is, and their conscience then shows us how it applies in our own lives. The law is objective. And so if God writes the Ten Commandments on stone, Mm -hmm. that stays the same. It's, It's what we say etched in steel. Mm-hmm. our conscience has fallen. It does accuse us, but it's amazing how easy it is for any human to start ignoring that or it talks about having their conscience seared with a hot iron. If you yep. violate God's moral law written on stone, the Ten Commandments, then you'll justify whatever you think you're doing. And some people seemingly have no conscience. They don't care what they do. Yeah. and they, they don't care how many people they hurt. We see stories about that all the time in the paper. So human beings are fallen. I've had a lot of chance to witness to people in the last, well, actually for most of my life, but most of the time I was preaching to Christians. Lately, I've been talking to people that don't know much of anything about this, and they don't understand this. And and I think the tendency right now is toward the cosmic mind of the universe type stuff. You know, there's something out there, and we're all spiritual, or the yoga, or the...
0: Pantheism and panentheism.
2: Yeah, and they don't even know those terms. It's just how people talk and how they think. Yeah. But the Bible really does explain what we see, because you see the news, and people wonder, how could things be so evil? And recently, there's been some horrible evil done that we've seen on the news, and now everything's on video. Yeah. It's very shocking. But then you see other people that are doing heroic things or selfless things or noble things or putting themselves in harm's way to save someone else. How do we understand this? The biblical account tells us what we need to know. It says that God created us in his image. We're imagers of God. But then there was a fall in real time, in real history, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And the biblical account explains both why humans are so sinful and why we're capable of doing humanitarian things because we're created in God's image, and that image is not totally destroyed. It says in James that people curse man who bears the image of God and doesn't distinguish between a Christian and a non-Christian. So it's still there, but fallen. Right, but we need redemption. We need to forgiveness of sins. We need to, to be born again, and to be renewed in the, in our minds. So we begin to think in ways that would be in keeping with God in His nature and what His plan is for us. Mm-hmm. So then it says, in we had an, I, I've done this before, but not for a while. Mm-hmm. I did a seminar on this once a couple, few years ago. Deuteronomy five twenty seven and twenty eight said that the uh, people did well. Now, they said they'd obey what God said through Moses. Well, they never did. Mm-hmm. They rebelled. And then Deuteronomy 18, 16, and 17 says, this is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Oreb on the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, lest let me not see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said, they have spoken well. Mm-hmm. Now, Hebrews picks this up with a lesser to greater argument and says the heavenly um, assembly, the, the assembly of the firstborn and so on, Hebrews 12, God is even given greater revelation. Now, there'll be even greater accountability, but we don't see it, so we don't think it's so real. And people ignore the fact that One day we'll have to give account to God. We have to realize that we are going to face God and either as saved and redeemed individuals who brought into glory or those who have to give an account on the day of judgment of why they rejected Christ. Mm -hmm. So as we go forward here to get through this sort of bring us to Christ, which is where we want to end up here, it talks in Exodus 33 about the tent of meeting. And a cloud would come down. It says in Exodus 33, 11a, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. And then a cloud would descend, whatever Moses was there in the tent of meeting. We have evangelical people now that have put out DVDs. This is from a few years ago. I did a seminar on this, claiming they can have their own tent of meeting right in the kitchen and God will come down. What shocks me about a lot of this talk is the lack of understanding about the very nature of God and his awesome holiness. And people glibly say, well, God came into my office or God came into my car. I've heard preachers say, well, I was studying and God came in. Oh, how do they know that?
0: That's what I want to draw out in this as we're talking about the authority of Scripture It's important to understand why Scripture has
2: authority, but yet these encounters that people claim to have have no authority. Not only that, there's something suspect about them. Mm -hmm. Because if you read the biblical accounts, whenever even when there's a theophany, people end up on their face in fear. Because as long as we're still in these mortal bodies and we're not entirely sanctified or perfected or glorified, we're sinners, yeah. Sinners saved by grace if we've trusted in Jesus, but nevertheless, God coming in would scare us, yeah. And uh, but these
0: stories don't go like that. You hear about well, Todd Bentley so going wonder. up to heaven, and yeah, it's they always go to, they go to they, the third heaven. They they love to brag about this experience and whatnot, yeah. and and yet the, the the apostles and those in Scripture that you know, in the Old Testament and whatnot that had these experiences seem to be reluctant to talk about it. And in some ways were commanded not to talk about it.
2: They were only to com- commanded to write and to speak what God told them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's always this awesomeness that reminds anybody who comes face to face with it of their own sinfulness. And that was the case even with Moses. Yeah. The, the one whom God chose to be the one to bring the people out of Egypt. And you see that with John in the apocalypse, you know, in Revelation and you see even peter when he saw the great ca- catch of fish he said depart from me i am a sinful man and we see in isaiah chapter 6 when isaiah's called he's 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 sinful he's wicked yeah and how could god you know call him like this and this is what you see when people are facing the holiness even in the form of a theophany which we how can i use this i don't want to be impertinent It's a veiled or dialed down. This isn't God in his full essence. Right. We'd be consumed. Yeah. Actually, I shared about this last Sunday, and someone made an interesting observation afterwards and said, really, God is saving us from himself. God is Mm -hmm. a just and holy God. And for a sinner to be in his presence is the most scary thing you can imagine. But Jesus Christ, who is fully human and fully God, who and lived a sinless life, who made substitutionary atonement for us, in Christ we can draw near to God, and that's another theme, by the way, in Hebrews. Besides once for all, it was draw near. Yeah. And when we see the old covenant, they didn't really want to draw near because they were quite sure they were going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And so it says in Exodus thirty-one eighteen. I had a debate once with an emergent person. I put this up on the slide Yeah, because this is this bugs them. This really drives if, if, – if you go to an emergent-type church or one of these postmodern, they hate this because it says God speaks real words to real people, and he does so, and he actually writes on stone, God. Here it yeah. says –
0: And he expects them to understand exactly and they what he expects to understand,
2: no, we can't know, we can't understand, it's too yeah. hard, it's too hard. When I was in seminary and people were trying to promote this, some of these other students – I kept saying, it's like the little engine that couldn't. We can't know. We can't hear. Mm-hmm. But they're perfectly able to formulate their own ideas about God. They just don't want to hear what he said. Here's what it says. Exodus thirty-one eighteen. When he had finished speaking with him, Moses, on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of, testimony, of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Mm-hmm. And so God speaks. God writes on stone. And so some of the existential theologians will say well, any language about God is compromised and equivocal. It you can't, you, you can't really be right because God is so wholly other that any words are inadequate. And so we can't know much about God. We just take a blind leap. And that was what Francis Schaefer warned about in his writings in those first three books, Escape from Reason, God Who Was There, and He's There and He's Not Silent, the trilogy. As that was happening, Schaefer predicted other things. This Jesus who has no content who you throw into this upper story, that's post-modernity, mm-hmm. came, came to prominence after Schaefer's, uh death. But that's what we're facing today. All words are inadequate, any kind of words. And certainly anything about God doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. So you you make a God after your own image. And it only applies to you or not just an individual. They don't like that, but the group. As long as the group agrees, that's all they need. So here God wrote on stone. Let's take a look at the significance. When I did this at a conference some years ago, I had a slide that had some points on. it. Is this significant? The claim of the Bible is that God has spoken. Is it important? Is it significant? Is the claim valid? Is it just mythological? I don't Mm -hmm. believe that it is. God had proven his power and presence by his mighty deeds. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, brought them to himself, and made a covenant with them. And then 40 years later, because of their rebellion, they ultimately were brought to the Promised Land. Israel is sitting there today. Mm -hmm. And all the nations consider that offensive. Notice it's always Israel that's condemned if anything happens. Yeah. Why? Well, because if they're really there as a result of a promise that God made to Abraham way back. That's
0: just as offensive as uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was to the Pharisees.
2: Yeah. They wanted him dead again because it threatened their power. Israel is, uh, I'm not saying Israel as Israel exists now, is in the millennial state. No, they're still not believing God, and many are secular, but they're civilized, and they do exist, and they are there, and it infuriates the entire world.
0: And they exist there as a fulfillment of a promise.
2: Yes, and so that shows that it was an objective promise, and that God keeps his word. Mm -hmm. God proved that his promises to the patriarchs were valid and would be fulfilled, and they're still being fulfilled. God took the descendants of one man and made them into a nation for himself. He said he'd do that. He's done it. God appeared to them and spoke words. As we just saw, the Ten Commandments still exist. People don't like it. It it reproves them, and they'll try to get away from it. Mm -hmm. I remember a story about that when I was in Bible college in the early 70s. There was a Billy Graham crusade in the Twin Cities, and I was a new Christian, and so and I'd been witnessing to all my coworkers, well, they didn't like that. You know, they were hostile. And so whenever I'd be, whatever I did, they tried to mock it because they didn't think anybody could be a born-again Christian. And so when Billy Graham came into town, and I don't know exactly what he was preaching in the early 70s, I didn't, wasn't at the crusade, but it bugged me that anybody associated with Christianity is what they'd want to attack. And so one time we were having lunch, and they were saying, oh, Billy Graham's just in it for the money. Well, I'd read something in the paper about, well, no, he wasn't making any more than some of these guys were. Yeah, Um, I said he could could be Joe DiMaggio selling Mr. Coffee. Now, you're not old enough, Andy, to remember that. Mm -hmm. But when Joe DiMaggio was still alive, he was a spokesman for Mr. Coffee. I said he could make more money selling Mr. Coffee pots than he does doing these crusades for what he takes. And then they started on something else. And finally, I i don't know, if I was pretty bold for a young guy in my early 20s. I said, you know why you guys don't like Billy Graham or anybody else that preaches? It's because it's a rebuke to your sinning. You just want to do what you want to do, and you brag about all the stuff you do that you know you're not supposed to. And that's why you don't like Billy Graham. You don't really think he's getting rich off this, do you? And they said, well, I wonder if the Vikings are going to have a good time. <laughs> they immediately changed the subject because they knew I told them the truth. Yeah, I'm not claiming to be anything other than a sinner other than I'm saved by grace. Yeah, And so a lot of the attacks against Christianity, now it was in a different era, the early 70s, and now it's more sophisticated, but it's still there. Right. God Has God spoken? Has he spoken in his son? Is the Christian gospel and the claims therein, true and is there a real hell and a real heaven and should we put our faith in jesus christ and if we go to a church that claims to exist whatever it may have been whatever its denomination but if it's a christian church and doesn't know what god said then you have a christian church full of pagans yeah you might as well be job's comforter trying to figure out why things are the way they are and that's exactly what you see yeah So here in the scripture, it's everywhere assumed that valid communication happened. So we've heard binding, authoritative words from God. And what it tells us, if we understand the book of Romans, the first three chapters, is universal human sinfulness. We cannot escape. We might think we're a good person. We might think that I'm not as bad as the guy down the street. Even in prison, there's a kind of hierarchy where somebody's always considered worse than somebody else and they all, whatever they were, in yeah. prison, murderers or whatever. Yeah, but I'd Alex, like to... Communication. Go ahead.
0: Uh, well, I just say I'd like to take a short break. Okay. Uh, and then when we come back, we'll talk about uh, implications of God speaking. It's the next thing you've got on your
2: materials here. Yes, and then we'll go forward and we better get moving so we get yeah. to the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay. All right. All right.
0: Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support.
1: Do you know someone that would benefit from listening to Echo Zoe Radio? And want to share the show with them? There are several ways you can do so. If you sign up for email alerts, you'll get an email every time a new episode is posted that you can forward to friends and family that may be blessed by what you hear. Another option is a CD subscription. Many people who would benefit from hearing Echo Zoe radio don't have access to podcasts. And a CD subscription is the perfect way to share Echo Zoe radio with them. Just check the show notes for this episode at echozoe.com for information on these options for sharing the show with others.
0: So thanks for listening. We're talking about the uh, authority of the Bible. And the next up on the uh, materials that Bob has here was implications of God speaking.
2: Yes, and I want to talk about that because it really does uh, weigh on us as Americans or just world citizens, really, because we hear from people all over. Mm -hmm. And the world's connected right now. And this postmodern idea that reality is a state of consciousness, or even we recently had election here, and you hear all these ads, and what's the truth, what's a lie, what's, what do we believe? Mm-hmm. And because this idea of reality being a state of mind, there's no such thing as speaking the truth, nor is there such a thing as lying, because it's all relative. Yeah. And so we hear these things where you're a liar and you're a liar. Well, there's no such thing as a lie if there's no such thing as the right. truth. Yeah. And that's what we're going to look at in these implications. And the people Bible don't doesn't... really
0: believe that either. When you start talking, especially you just brought up the election, when they are talking politics, uh, you, you can show somebody how their candidate lied and you objectively show that what they said was a lie. And almost every time the response is, well, they're all liars. The other guy
2: did it, too. The other, Yeah, to quote a logic <laughs> well, so uh, logical. So fallacy. then how, how do we know what is right? Mm-hmm. But let's talk about this whole thing, how it doesn't really work in the real world. I was just reading the paper this morning. There were some guys supposedly selling rare coins, but he didn't deliver any rare coins. He just collected millions of dollars. Okay. And now he's going to probably end up in jail. This has happened a bunch of times. Okay, you can't claim that you're selling this bundle of rare coins for so much money, never deliver it, but you take their money and put it in your bank account and blow it. Mm -hmm. And then you can't go into a court of law and say, well, it's all a state of consciousness. So they just should get dialed into the fact that those coins are really there. They just don't have the right state of consciousness. That's not going to hold up. You have to always go to concrete reality. So human enterprise uh, contracts and everything depends on the fact that we can not actually know the, about the world we're in and that we're accountable and that uh, that A is not non-A at the same time in the same relationship. That's the law of non-contradiction. Yep. Okay, so let's look at some implications. God speaks words, the meaning of which are determined by God and understood by men. So when we say that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and Holy um, men spoke of God from God. They spoke words inspired by God that are meaningful. Mm-hmm. Okay. The attack against the meaning of scripture is the attack against whether God has spoken and an attack against Hebrews one and one and two. And when God speaks, he doesn't contradict himself. God's words reveal his moral law, which is binding on men. We've talked about that. God speaks propositionally. What's a proposition. It's a truth claim. It's a statement Made that can be judged to be either true or false when compared with the evidence in the real world. That's a proposition. And so we have, (laughs) I remember the debate with one of the emergent fellow that I had. That was a very interesting time. He said, why do you have to talk about propositional truth? What's wrong with just truth? Okay, well, Paul, before one of the kings said he speaks words of sober truth. The reason he doesn't want definitions of what I mean by truth is because he doesn't want to be bound by it. And so if truth is a state of mind, then error is also a state of mind and none of them can be judged to be true or false. Everybody has their own reality. So they say, but that's the most hopeless and unworkable philosophy you can imagine. So I kept throwing all these things out in this debate and dodge, duck and dodge and go off to another topic but God speaks propositionally because we're defining what we mean by God speaking. And when we define things, then we have boundaries and categories and a is not non a, there's no such thing as a square circle. You can say square circle. You can't make one. You can't diagram one. Mm -hmm. You can't engineer one. You can't mass produce one. You can't take one home because circles have no corners and a square has four of them. And so there's no square circle. And so I remember as after that debate, I was walking across the street with a friend of mine and this other guy who was, evidently on the other side, was talking about how it went. And I was kind of frustrated because the fellow I debated just kept ducking and dodging and going off into things that had nothing to do with what we were talking about, changing the subject. And the guy said, I said, well, there are no square circles. He said, well, I'm not so sure. <laughs> this fellow was coming across the street to find his car. Well, what kind of job are you going to get? You can't, you can't, what job can you have where you think like that and actually try to put it to work? If you're a parking lot attendant, there's either an empty space or there isn't. You can't say, well, this car sitting in this space really isn't there. This is like a square circle. It is a space. It isn't a space. Go park there. Well, well, I'll run into his car if I park here. No, that's just a state of mind. Well, if you run into this guy's car, he's going to, you're going to have to pay for it. You can't live this in the real world. That's what Francis Schaeffer said. God's words, I, I'm here in this uh, implications, were preserved for future generation by God's Holy Spirit inspired writers. In this case, Moses. That claim is reiterated in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for reproof, correction, and doctrine, teaching. Why would a Christian church exist and not have teaching? But when you talk to people, they say, "Well, I don't like doctrine. Sounds really bad." Really boring. Well, doctrine is God speaking to us about who He is, about the world we live in, and about His plan of salvation. Yeah, every church has doctrine. Yeah, they just it, don't it want might to be call it that. False
0: doctrine. It might be true doctrine, but doctrine. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just teaching. Yeah, the word. I mean, if you is, teach that, that there is no absolute truth, that's a doctrine. It's a false doctrine, but it's a doctrine.
2: Exactly. Whenever somebody's Uh, speaking to a congregation and their mouth is moving and words are coming out, they're teaching something. Mm -hmm. The word doctrine is just a translation of the Greek word for teaching. Yeah. And then I think we're going to be short on time, so maybe I need to kind of fast forward here. Yeah, let's do that. One of the things that uh, comes up is the idea that how do you know God's speaking to us through Jesus Christ? Well, in the Old Testament, God spoke, through Moses, and Moses in Deuteronomy 18, and I'll give you the short version, Um, Deuteronomy 18, we have verse 20, 21, 22, and then I went back to Deuteronomy 13 about other gods, Deuteronomy 18, 18, and 19. It talks about God will raise up a prophet like Moses, so when he comes on the scene of history, we should listen to him. Yep. Okay? And the New Testament claims that that prophet like Moses is Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to look at. And uh, there's also a doctrinal test. So let's say a prophet comes along and predicts something and it doesn't come true. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a false prophet. Yeah. Now, what does it say in the Bible about God? God cannot lie. Mm-hmm. So God didn't speak to that prophet. And the prophet doesn't get to keep trying until he gets it right. Because if the guy's been wrong once, four times, five times, or whatever, I wouldn't listen to him at all because you can't tell. He might be right, might be wrong.
0: And God knows he was wrong. So he knows his credibility is shaken. He's not going to go to the guy who's got no credibility and say, okay, all of a sudden, now I'm going to talk through
2: him. Well, that's what some people want. They just keep thinking it's better to have a bad prophet than no prophet at all. But we have the prophet, Jesus Christ, and his apostles. We don't need more people claiming to speak for, for God beyond Scripture. So there may be a real sign or wonder from a false deity. And so anybody that even can do a sign or wonder, they have to be able to articulate the true doctrine of who God is as revealed in Scripture. Mm -hmm. And if it was Baal that supposedly did the miracle, you got a false deity. Don't listen to him. If it doesn't come true, don't listen to him. We have people that claim that Jesus lost his deity when he died on the cross. Well, then this is a false, this is a different Christ than the one we know because... If God exists from all eternity and his existence is from everlasting to everlasting, as it says in the Psalms, that Jesus Christ is God, which is the claim of the New Testament, fully human and fully God. In the incarnation, he takes on human flesh. Then if there's any time when he loses deity, then he's contingent on something outside of himself, and he's not right. God, and he doesn't have the basic attributes of deity. We have to define what we mean. Yeah. Okay? And Eastern thing falls on his face as well. Wrote an article about that once and asked this question because they say, "Well, you're you're part of God, but you just don't know it." So come to the seminar. Well, what kind of deity has to go to a seminar to find <laughs> out that he exists? Okay, God is. Yeah. That's it. I am that I am. That's what he That's what he said to Moses. He exists. He doesn't need to go to a seminar. Moses is, the, is created, he hears God. So we need to get forward to the New Testament. Now, if we look at John 1 and verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this is so powerful, because when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, God revealed himself as the one who's full of Hesed and Ameth, which would be covenant faithfulness and truth. And then there's another similar word. Grace and truth is an allusion to Mount Sinai, how God revealed himself to Moses. So here's God incarnate who comes in tabernacles. The word dwelt is a word for his tent, so it's a reminder of the tent of meeting in the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And the glory is a reminder of Sinai. Grace and truth is a reminder of Sinai. So what we're seeing in the New Testament is Jesus is the one that Moses predicted in Deuteronomy 18. And when he comes, he'll speak God's words, and he'll speak the truth, and we must listen to him. Now, uh, how do we know that? Well, let's just look at some more passages in the Gospels. We're in John 2, 19 to 21. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews therefore said it took 46 years to build this temple. You will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus predicted his own resurrection from the dead. Muhammad never did that. Mm-hmm. Buddha, none of the false religions and none of the cults that are operative. There's nobody but Jesus Christ, whoever predicted his own resurrection from the dead, and was actually raised from the tomb and nobody claimed that they found a body in that tomb other than the ones who lied about it to try to cover up the fact that the tomb was empty they agreed that it was empty they should know they couldn't explain it mm-hmm. god raised him from the dead he appeared to many witnesses christianity is not a religion that asks you to take a blind leap of faith paul talks about that in 1st corinthians 15 mm-hmm. he appeared to many after, and then he, as one born out of time, he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And so this was the claim. Jesus Christ dwelt, pitched his tent. He's the greater Moses. He's the fulfillment. And he's more than that. He's the one, according to John 1.1, 1, 1, was face to face with God from all eternity. That's why we say he existed as God and with God. The Trinity is a doctrine that's revealed in the scriptures. Then we go to Mark chapter 9, where we have an allusion to what happened on Sinai, only this is better, because this is God the Son. It says in Mark 9, 2 and 3, And six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And it says in verse four, Mark chapter nine, in verse five, and Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. Now, notice Hebrews one one and two. God spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways. In these last days, has spoken to us in His Son. Here's a great prophet from the Old Testament scriptures that uh, that the disciples heard about from their youth in the scriptures, Elijah and Moses the great leader that they listened to, as far as the Pentateuch, that they studied from youth. Moses was the person that they were disciples of, when they talk about being disciples. So here's the Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. So he's assuming now we've got the two great prophets from the Old Testament, plus Jesus will have three. But it says in the next verse, Peter was really off base here. Because mm-hmm. we're not going back to Moses and Elijah, because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God himself, who came into human history and spoke words, who was tangible, 1 John one one two and 3, if you read there no we we're not following some spirit jesus some cosmic avatar or some cosmic messiah or some age of aquarius this is the tangible real jesus who came in a real body who after his resurrection still had the marks of calvary for thomas to examine and th- this is the one who bodily ascended into heaven who though we don't see him now we believe in him people want something else because Jesus Christ spoke God's words, and He even more than Moses made it made us painfully aware of how sinful we are. Mm-hmm. Moses said to you, but I say to you, "Wow, yeah, what can you what can you assume <laughs> other than what a wicked sinner I am, and how could I ever be in God's presence unless there's a Savior?" Right. It says in Mark nine six, for He did not know what to answer, for they'd become terrified. So. Mark, who probably got his source for this from Peter himself, was saying, parenthetically, "I didn't know what I was talking about." Or Peter said, "He, he that was a dumb thing to say, but he didn't know it." Then the cloud formed. Now that's another allusion to the tent of meeting, the Sinai, the glory, the fire, the cloud. Yeah. Cloud formed, overshadowed him, and a voice came out of the cloud, like we saw in the Old Testament. "This is my beloved Son. Listen to him." Remember, Moses said that God will raise up a prophet like me and when he does listen to him. This is the one. Mm-hmm. If you really claim you're following Moses, you'll go from Moses to Jesus and not try to make a tabernacle for Moses, like uh, Peter was talking. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And all, all at once they looked around and saw no one with him anymore except Jesus alone. God the Father identifies with an audible voice that they heard. This is my son. Listen to him. This is the one who speaks for me. And that's where we establish that the New Testament, Christ and his personally appointed apostles, and in whoever the Holy Spirit inspired that were related to the apostles, like Luke, mm-hmm. that, that's the authoritative scripture. That was the faith once for all delivered to the saints now the question i have is this i you know, i have some health problems right now they they're very serious and it means that two or three or four times a week i'm getting some sort of a transfusion or infusion or what have you yeah and because it takes so many hours to do it, I it's amazing how many different people come around. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm chained to the IV. And I hear these people talking and asking questions. And I did that it went right from October. I went through the election in November. So you hear that. I found to stay away from that sort of thing and to get back to the scripture. And I'm always studying the Bible there. And my Greek has come back to me. So I'm sitting here doing Greek, which I'd originally studied in the early 70s. And they started asking me, but you hear... Even the people that go to church have no idea what God has said, what the scripture says. And conceptually, this whole idea that God spoke by, it's not even on the radar. Yeah. And then there's a lot of what I would call just sort of cosmic paganism. People that want to help other people, but they don't have any eternal hope. Mm -hmm. And I'm at peace. Uh, I I believe that my sins are washed away, and if I go to if I leave this world, I'm going to go to see the Lord. I'm accepting that, yeah. but I'd like to stay here because I so love studying the Bible and teaching it <laughs> like we're doing right now. Yeah, but that's in the Lord's hands. But people don't understand this, and I hope some people tune into your your podcast, Andy, and start thinking about that shouldn't the church be telling people the true words of God that were spoken once for all? That's our job. That's what we should do. And aren't these words powerful because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit? Not because I spoke them. The authority of scripture doesn't imply that because somebody has some sort of ecclesiastical office, that therefore what they say we should listen to. Mm. That doesn't mean anything because people in ecclesiastical office Don't necessarily believe anything the Bible says. Some may, and some believe it, but they won't tell you unless you beg them to, and even then they're embarrassed to. People should be who speak uh, about God from Scripture. The authority is the authority of Scripture, and the hermeneutic, which is a word you actually find in Luke 24, Jesus explained the Scripture to them, interpreted the author's intent. What did Moses mean when he wrote the Pentateuch? What did Jesus mean when he said this, and this is written in Scripture, the author's intent, Mark, Luke, whoever wrote, Paul, what did they mean? They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Their meaning is God's meaning. Yeah. Right? So when I speak with authority, I'm not speaking with any kind of ecclesiastical authority. I'm speaking as this is what the Scripture says, and here's the evidence that I can give you that it means this. Mm -hmm. You can challenge that. It's legitimate to do so. And I think we should train everyone in the body of Christ to be able to think and to be able to understand, to be able to read Scripture, and to be able to think. We use the word critically, and that doesn't mean I'm judging everything because I don't like it, but being able to distinguish between what's right and wrong and understand it. That's the authority. We don't believe in the authority ecclesiastical office other than through affairs where people get together and they want to rent a building or buy some property or decide various things but what's binding revelation is determined by the biblical authors so if you say andy that jesus christ spoke for god that's just as authoritative and powerful as if i say it because it doesn't matter that I had more theological education Mm -hmm. because there's people that are way more educated than me. that don't believe any of that. So let's go to this passage. How much time do we have? We Uh,
0: we probably should wrap up in the next couple minutes. Okay.
2: Let's go to John five, 45 and 40 through 47. Here's what Jesus said. This, this was to his critics. Mm -hmm. Do not think that I will accuse you before the father. The one who accuses you as Moses, now, of course, that was their favorite person. Yeah. Okay. In whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote of me. People say, well, it's naive to think Moses wrote the Pentateuch. How could you believe something like that? It's silly. Well, Jesus Christ predicted his own resurrection from the dead and he was raised. Yeah. So we know his claims are true. And he said, Moses wrote of me. That satisfies me. Yeah. Is that good enough? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But if you do not believe his writings, which they believe to be binding and authoritative, which they are, Whoa. under a different covenant, how will you believe my words? And then a reminder of where we started with this. Yeah. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, which begin, by the way, that last days begin with the coming of Messiah, really on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's poured out. Um, days of messianic salvation has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world the creator god came into our world and spoke and then it goes on with his glorious description of the glories of christ in verse three and four and i love the book of hebrews Mm -hmm. and what do we have today well we have dreamers revelators, people claiming to be apostles and prophets, cl- people claiming to have visited heaven, people wanting to listen to councils and creeds and popes and cardinals and have experiences or smell the roses or whatever it is that they that they have in their romantic experience. But has God spoken? And are the claims of the Bible believable? Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I shared less than a week ago from the same basic idea in, in, with some people that are Christians that are hungry for the word. And I mentioned the Sennacherib cylinder or the Sennacherib prison. Yeah. Somebody emailed me and said, well, what is that you're talking about? And so I just clicked on Google. Now with Google, everybody, you know, you better get things right. Cause people are sitting <laughs> here with their little computers. If yeah, you're going to yeah, teach, wait a second. So click, click, click. Yeah. Well, I just pulled up uh, pictures of it. It's a history. It was written by the Assyrians. And Sennacherib, who, according to the Bible, was threatening to wipe out Hezekiah, and Hezekiah brought his threats before God, and yeah. God killed. sent the angel to kill so many of his soldiers, and he yeah. went home. And in a Sennacherib's c- cylinder that they found, it's written in stone, so it's preserved. You can go look it up on Google, he, uh, or sometimes call a prism, because it had size to it. He said, I had Hezekiah uh, trapped in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. But then it's, he doesn't say what happens. <laughs> yeah, he did, but it didn't work out so well for Sennacherib. He had to go back, and God prevailed. So yeah. the Bible isn't asking. This happened way back, yeah. way back before Christ uh, and centuries before, and it happened in real history. And when they began to excavate Israel over the last couple hundred years, particularly more recently, they're finding that what the Bible says is actually true. Mm-hmm. And So, dear listeners, we're not asking you to believe myths or fables. We're not asking you to have a cosmic consciousness experience or to uh, anything like that. We're asking you to listen to what God has said to us once for all through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for sins, the just for the unjust, once for all, says in First Peter 3.18, to bring us to God. Why do we need that? Because we've sinned, we've rebelled, we've broken not only the Ten Commandments, we've done what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And the Holy God, if we were in his presence, we'd be consumed. How are we going to get to heaven? Well, we need a Savior. Jesus Christ shed his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. To to cleanse us, but we have to put our faith in him. God raised him from the dead. We're the wicked sinners. He says, repent and believe the gospel. Don't trust in these uh, false messiahs and prophets who are telling us that we're just going to be sucked back into the cosmic mind of the universe. There's no proof for that. There's no evidence for that. No. Believe in Jesus Christ and be saved and trust in him. And he will cover our sins. That's called Propitiation. He will cleanse us from the inside out. That's called expiation. And people say, well, you can't talk about that. It's too advanced. It's too complicated. It's too technical. Paul wrote the same ideas, sent them to Rome, where he hadn't been, to a church, and he expected they could understand them. Now, why with Google can't we understand it today? Right. It's a a lame excuse. We need to believe it. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today, turn to him. Turn away from idols. Turn from idols to serve the living God. Repent and believe the gospel. That's Amen. the way of salvation. Amen. Well,
0: thanks so much. We are really pushing the, the clock on this. but um, Well, you've got the so editing much.
2: capability, so yeah. you can't imagine. It's,
0: it's, it's tough. I don't know if I really want to take anything out. <laughs> well, that's what I was uh, saying, on, but not, you did
2: man, about the Internet.
0: One thing I like about doing this is I like having a guest because then I don't have to talk, and you made my job really easy today. Well, my voice held out, and sometimes
2: I have trouble with it, but if it keeps working, I just, as long as it's scripture, I don't mind telling people about it. You
0: uh, mentioned your sermon on Sunday, and I'm guessing a lot of people who are hearing this probably got that sermon because I posted it on Echo Zoe. Yeah. It found its way uh, into the podcast stream inadvertently. Yeah. uh, But that's been fixed. If you didn't hear that, it is available at EchoZoe.com. Um, we, we're actually in the process of starting a new church, and uh, Eric Domo is going to be our pastor, and he'll be teaching there. And uh, those sermons will, until we actually have a website for this church, we don't even have a name yet on the website, but until then, um, I'll be hosting them. Uh, there's a, a podcast set up called Echo Zoe Sermons where you can download, uh, subscribe and download. Yeah, them. and I
2: talked about the same thing, only more of a proclamation mode Mm -hmm. than an explanation like we did here. Yeah. same
0: true. Before we close, I did want to talk a little bit about your health because I think uh, people listening would
2: be uh, happy to pray for you. Yes. Um, Right now I'm existing week by week on blood transfusions because I have a rare uh, syndrome called Church Strauss. There's only a few people out of a million that get this. And it's a subset of something called vasculitis. It's an autoimmune thing. That's related to probably I've had asthma, allergies, and problems like that for a long time, since the early 90s. And I got to the point where I didn't have any hemoglobin, ended up in the hospital, and since then I've been uh, there. There's no cure for this, but on the other hand, my mind is clear the gospel, as long as the Lord keeps me on this earth, I want to keep teaching people about the gospel and calling them to faith in Jesus Christ. I'd like to have more people to fellowship with when I get to glory. Yeah. But in the meantime, I'll enjoy it here. Prayer requests um, that my, uh, it's inexplicable why my bone marrow, which I've had a biopsy, somehow it looks like it's going to create the hemoglobin, but it doesn't. There's Mm -hmm. some, some reason it doesn't work. And so that requires these transfusions. So...
0: You had one yesterday.
2: Yeah. So you're energetic today. You're looking so I mean, good. Yeah, <laughs> right. I've got oxygen and hemoglobin. Yeah. There's an irony to that that I used to testify to people because it was the heme molecule when I was a chemical engineering student studying organic chemistry. That the heme molecule convinced me evolution was a lie yeah. and that God created the, the world out of nothing because of the intricacy of this molecule that made it possible for oxygen to get to our cells. Well, now here I'm 62 years old. And the lack of the heme is what's threatening my physical life. But as I said many times, that's just temporary anyhow. Even if you live to be 90, that's nothing compared to eternity. But it's the blood of Jesus that gives me eternal life. Yeah. You know. but as long as I'm receiving these transfusions, I can keep writing and I keep keep sharing the gospel and pray that my blood would, or my bone marrow and the whole system would do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. But that's in God's hands but he does use means, and one of the means that God has is prayer. And I am also uh, receiving transfusions keep me alive. I have a very rare blood type. But just in general, if people are inclined to do that, donating blood is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It keeps people, it helps keep people alive. Especially case. if you're O-negative and you can donate to anyone. Yes, and um, mine is B-negative, very rare. Mm-hmm. So, like I keep saying to the people I witness to, I guess I'm really a strange person. i got this really rare disease and a rare blood type. Yeah. But what's important are these etern- eternal truths of the gospel. That's more important than anything else, and amen. I want to be able to share that with people as long as the Lord keeps me here in this world. Yeah, well, amen. I,
0: I thank you so much for your time today, and Thanks look for forward me, to what you're going to be doing as you're, we're, we're moving forward with the church. and. Well, and, if, and if people using will, your time in the, yeah. in the clinics to, to study for, for teaching. And.
2: Yeah, I'm never there on weekends, so I look forward to being able to share whatever I have as part of the body of Christ to be able to point people to the gospel and to the truth of the word of God because that's where we get our life.
0: Amen. Well, thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: We'd love to hear from you. If you have a comment or would like to contribute a question to an upcoming interview, leave us a voicemail. You can do so by calling area code 425-906-4908. Whenever possible, we'll announce upcoming topics and guests so that you can offer questions for the show. You can find those announcements on the website or on our social media sites. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or add us to your Google Plus circles to get the latest news and announcements from Echo Zoe Ministries.
0: That wraps up episode 57. Thanks again for listening. Lord willing, we'll be back again next month with the February episode.